1: On this past Wednesday, a group of us launched the Truth, Justice, and Reconciliation Commission. I think it's the single most important work of my life as we try to find ways to radically shift and change what justice means for us across the country. We launched this in partnership with the district attorneys of San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Boston, Chase Boudin. Larry Krasner and Rachel Rollins, three men and women that I know very well, whose campaigns that I worked on and campaigned for and donated to, we had a private conversation uh, with the media, with Chesa Boudin, Rachel Rollins, and Larry Krasner. And I want you to hear that conversation. The first voice that you're going to hear is that of the District Attorney of Philadelphia, Larry Krasner. And... I was deeply touched by his remarks. The second voice that you hear will be Rachel Rollins, who is the district attorney of Boston. And she puts in context not only what she's tried to do in her short time in office, but the impact of injustice on the city and how she's hoping to move forward. And then the last voice you will hear today is that of my friend and brother, Chase Boudin, District Attorney of San Francisco, who in less than seven months has reduced San Francisco's jail population by 50%. I want you to hear this private conversation. I think it's profound, I think it's insightful, and I want you to really understand what it is we're trying to build. Listen in. The, the, the breakdown. The, 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 the breakdown. breakdown. The the, the Breakdown.
2: So thank you so much for joining uh, today's conference call. The purpose of the call is to discuss the grassroots law project and district attorneys from San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Boston, their decision to create truth, justice, and reconciliation commissions in each city you may ask why we're doing this. For too long, people in uh, communities of color have lacked the recourse to address police violence and prosecutor overreach. And today we're gonna talk about how Truth, Justice and Reconciliation Commissions can help with this process. With that, Sean, thank you so much and I'll turn the platform over to you.
1: Thank you so much, Jennifer. And it's my honor to be here with each and every one of you Many of us often say, and I used to say this, we often say that this system is broken. And I understand why people look at it and think that because it causes so much harm and so much pain and has over the past two months really turned our country upside down that it's easy to look at it and think this system is definitely broken. Instead, it's more nefarious than that. It's actually functioning exactly the way it was designed, imagined, constructed, and deployed to function. It's actually firing on all cylinders. It's not broken. It's doing exactly what it was built to do. And when you start there as a starting point, it causes you to say, it's not in need of a band aid, but it's in need of deconstruction, and we need to imagine brand new pathways to justice, to healing, to truth. And when we've tried to use the current pathways to justice and truth and healing, it's often failed us. And so this new commission and these three local pilot commissions in Philadelphia and Boston and San Francisco are our attempt, to create new systems and new pathways to justice for those who have been marginalized and experienced grave acts of injustice, not just in the past few months, but the past few years. And even over the course of our lifetime, our district attorneys each have their own unique vision and plans and hopes. And today we're just beginning the formation process of these commissions and we hope that their work will begin this fall.
2: Thank you so much. Uh, our next speaker is District Attorney Lawrence Krasner, and l- let me just share a little bit about his background. He was elected District Attorney of Philadelphia on November 7, 2017, and he took office at the beginning of 2018. As one of Philadelphia's most outspoken and highly regarded progressive attorneys, for 30 years he has been fearlessly demanding fair treatment and justice for all Philadelphians. Mr. Krasner will transform a broken district attorney's office into one that focuses on the 6% of people who commit 60% of the serious crimes in Philadelphia. He is committed to leading the fight for a fair and effective criminal legal system uh, throughout Philadelphia. With that, uh, welcome District Attorney Krasner.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. All right, so I am delighted and honored, frankly, to be here with... uh, Two colleagues I admire very much who are progressive prosecutors in their own cities and also to have been invited by the Grassroots Law Project, Sean King and Lee Merritt to be part of what I think is a very important adventure at a moment of injustice that's being recognized in our society. The context of the moment, we all know. It is a context of the entire country reaching a tipping point or maybe a breaking point when it comes to a lack of accountability and a history of a lack of accountability for police and prosecutors dealing with the lives and taking the lives of black and brown people. Sadly, it is nothing new, but I wanna say two things to you that I think inspire a little bit, at least in terms of my willingness and excitement about being part of this adventure. I I wanna give you two quick stories. The first is, My office, and we've been in office now 30 months, prosecuted a police officer for something he did on duty against a person who, when that person was harmed, was unarmed. And we have the talk, not that talk, a different talk. It's the talk that prosecutors have with families of people who've been harmed by police. Talk goes something like this. You may not win. The system does not work for you. You may not win. The family's response was, we already won. You're trying. Because most prosecutors don't try. They don't even dignify the act. Second thing, second quick story. So this office has exonerated 14 people, nearly all from uh, from homicides. 13 of them black men, for, for very good and very specific reasons. These folks had been in jail 20 to 35 years. Uh, in almost all cases, it is demonstrable and obvious that they were innocent the entire time. And when we have done it, even though none of those convictions happened on our watch, we have apologized to those people in open court. And the effect is magical. The weight that is lifted from the shoulders of these people is amazing. Those two experiences have said a lot to me about why a truth, justice and reconciliation commission is so important. Sean spoke about whether the justice system is broken or is built to do exactly what it does. Well, the bottom line is that something has to be rebuilt when it comes to justice for black black and brown people coming from policing and from prosecution. We don't always talk about the roles that prosecutors have played, but they're pretty heinous in an awful lot of what they do in ignoring the necessity of seeking police accountability, seeking police reform, but also heinous in terms of the tactics that prosecutors have used to win at all costs, when winning at all costs represented a substantial injustice. In my mind, our participation, and every city will have its own view, But our participation is not just about policing, it is about prosecution. And the task before us is not just to try to use the old tools, which are made not to fix what needs to be rebuilt. It is to find new tools so we can build something different. We have too few tools now, and they are not solving this problem. So I am delighted to be with Rachel Rollins, who is Suffolk County, also known as Boston's. DA and Chessa Boudin, who is San Francisco's DA, because these are progressive prosecutors who know that there's a problem. They want to fix it and they want new and more tools to fix it. And so, in three different cities, in three different ways, there will be three pilots. They will always be attentive to what is going on locally as they must be, because it's a matter of local law, it's a matter of local experience and culture and what has happened there. I can tell you that all of us are trying to and willing to hold police and prosecutors accountable. We just need to find the best ways to do it. This office can proudly say that we have carefully achieved 14 exonerations. We can also say that we have taken the position, because it is true, that the death penalty in Pennsylvania, as it has been applied for 40 years, is unconstitutional, partly because it is unconscionably racist. That is the position this DA's office has taken because that is the truth. That is the truth about everything that is broken with how our supposed justice system has dealt with marginalized people, especially black and Brown people. The question of course is how do we do it? And I'll say that quickly and then I'll get out of the way. We go to the community, even though in Philadelphia and I believe elsewhere, All of these commissions will be housed within the DA's office of these progressive prosecutors. We go to the community because we cannot formulate, we cannot imagine, we cannot devise a process, and we cannot act in a way that is credible and appropriate without input from the community. This office in the next couple of weeks is going to be selecting two to four personnel who will be tasked with the process of starting to develop this pilot here, there will be the selection of a group to do a statement of intent from the community, which would explain the purpose, the ideas behind it. It would be vetted with community over a period of a few months. And then we look forward to selecting a commission of people who are outside the office and represent a very broad range of specific knowledge and capacity when it comes to this. Because in the end of the day, at the end of the day, what we need is to have respect, Humanity. And we need to use that respect, that degree of humanity achieved through this process, which it has achieved in South Africa and elsewhere. We needed to do that so we can have a reconciliation, a reconciliation between prosecutors and the communities they have deserved, reconciliation between police and the communities that they have deserved, because we will not have more justice and we will not have more safety until we find ways to move forward. And that requires this new toolbox, which is a commission that would look for truth, justice, and reconciliation. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. Uh, Our next speaker is Suffolk County District Attorney, Rachel Rollins. District Attorney Rachel Rollins is the Chief Law Enforcement Officer for Boston, Chelsea, Revere, Winthrop, Massachusetts. She is the first woman ever elected as district attorney in Suffolk County and the first woman of color ever elected to serve in this role in Massachusetts. Since taking office, Rollins has implemented implemented humane and data supported policies to keep the Boston area safe. Policies that no longer criminalize mental health issues, substance abuse, uh, food and housing insecurity and immigration status instead focusing her limited resources on the most violent and serious crimes. Among some of her larger initiatives and policy implementations are her first in nation Discharge Integrity Team to help investigate officer-involved shootings and allegations of excessive force. The Discharge Integrity Team consists of a community member, a criminal defense attorney, a retired judge, and a member of law enforcement. Of the four-member team, Half of the people are people of color and have rel- have relevant uh, lived experiences, including service in the military or losing a loved one to homicide. With that, I turn the conversation over to District Attorney Rollins.
0: Thank you so much, Jennifer. Um, I am honored to be here just like Larry, and um, really excited to be with two friends um, in Chasa and Larry. I want to Make sure I say out loud that I would not be the district attorney of Suffolk County but for Sean King taking an interest in um, my DA's race and the ACLU doing the What a Difference a DA Makes campaign. Um, I am honored to be in this incredibly difficult role in this incredibly difficult moment. And I also am just so privileged to be um, anywhere with the fabulous lawyer Lee Merritt, who I just watch you and Ben and the work you are doing, Um, just thank you. So in my mind, no two incidents define the city of Boston's complicated and ugly history on the matter of race and justice as powerfully as busing, which is the desegregation of our public schools and the Charles Stewart case, uh, where Charles Stewart, a white man murdered his pregnant wife, Carol Demati. Carol gave birth and died Uh, And then their son Christopher died 17 days later. Charles knew his audience and blamed a fictitious black man in the neighborhood of Roxbury, Mission Hill, uh, Massachusetts. And hell was rained down on this community by the Boston Police Department. Um, There was the wrongful persecution of a a black man named Willie Bennett and hundreds of young black men that were brutalized um, and their family members and in a community that was invaded. um, They have never received an apology. um, And this is a stain on our city as well as what happened with busing. Neither one of those incidents should make us proud as people from Boston or who love Boston. And both illustrate exactly what we are committed to do with respect to confronting uh, through the creation of the Truth, Justice, and Reconciliation Commission that systemic racism is deeply rooted, not just within the criminal legal system, but threaded through the very fabric of American history. And while racial bias, prejudice, and hate show up differently in every community, whether it's Philadelphia or San Francisco or Boston, there are some very common threads. Black lives are continually being ripped apart and ripped away. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, Ahmad Arbery, Richard Brooks. And on the other end of the spectrum, we have Omar Jimenez and Christian Cooper, who know we're not brutally murdered, but I think very succinctly display the micro and overt aggressions that Black people are experiencing every day in their lives. I feel like history is repeating itself and it keeps repeating itself. The same stories of pain and injustice and harm and inaction are replaying over and over and over again. And I find it particularly painful because those stories have become so familiar and so predictable. As Black people, we are the most culturally appropriated people on the planet Earth. Just ask your children, listen to the music they listen to, the clothes they wear who they are emulating, who they are watching, and what they are doing in every moment. We are also the only group of people that have to apologize or be blamed for our murder. Each one of these indecencies and assaults tear deeper into the already deep and justified distrust found between communities of color and law enforcement. I am a person of color, I am a black woman, And I am also the elected prosecutor and district attorney in Boston, Suffolk County. And I cannot separate those things, nor would I ever want to. In order to do what I was elected to do by the people of Suffolk County, reform the criminal legal system, uphold public safety and fairness, and keep our community safe and healthy, I know that with this commission, I must first and foremost, continue to listen to the community to learn and to be responsive and accountable for what our community needs, wants and demands. We cannot fall prey to the same thing people do all the time, telling black people and poor people and marginalized people what we believe we think they need without their strong and active and vibrant voices sitting right next to us when we make these decisions. This is about honoring a deeply felt pain. It's about documenting long-standing harms and beginning the long and hard road to healing, hopefully through a process of deep and uncomfortable conversations and reckoning, quite frankly, all with community involvement. Like Larry, I have chosen to right those wrongs in the 17 months I've been DA here. I wrote a letter of apology to an exonerated man on the letterhead of my office, acknowledging and stating verbally and in writing the harm inflicted by my office prior to me being in the role of this man, to this man, Frederick Clay. Too often our profession prioritizes finality over justice. We aren't doing that any longer. And I apologize, I'm proud to say to William Bennett, the black man accused of murdering Carol and Christopher DeMady, who are of course the wife and son of Charles Stewart. And I apologize not only to William Bennett, but his family and verbal, verbally and in writing to hopefully help them start the journey to healing. And that was for them, not for the criminal legal system or me. So today we begin the work. This commission was created to turn a moment of outrage into action and reform. We need to confront our ugly past in order to build a more just and equitable future. Sean and Lee, I am so honored to have been selected. I will not let you down. And Larry and Chasa pick up the phone every time I call. We have a lot of work to do. I'm proud and honored to be in this work with all of you. Thank you.
2: Thank you, uh, DA Rollins. Our next speaker is San Francisco District Attorney, Chesa Boudin. Uh, Chase Boudin is the recently elected district attorney of San Francisco. Personally impacted by parental incarceration and the failings of the criminal justice system, D.A. Boudin was inspired to become a public defender and now decarceral prosecutor. He is focusing on reforming the criminal legal system and making our communities safer by developing data-proven policies to expand alternatives to incarceration and treat the root causes of crime. In his first few months in office, DA Dean ended the office's practice of asking for cash bail, eliminated status enhancements, implemented California's first diversion program for primary caregivers, and ended the prosecution of charges resulting from racist, pretextual traffic stops. He also implemented policies to prevent the filing of charges relying on officers with prior misconduct and to allow victims and witnesses of police violence to be eligible for victims' compensation. DA Boudin also created an Economic Crimes Against Workers unit in the DA's office to protect workers from exploitation. With that being said, uh, District District Attorney Boudin, I turn the floor over to you.
4: Thank you, Jennifer, and, and thanks to all who've spoken before me. It is really... An honor to be here, to have been selected to participate in this project. So I want to thank you, Sean and Lee, for your initiative and your vision and your leadership on this issue, as well as on so many other issues. And I want to specifically and especially also thank District Attorney Rollins and District Attorney Krasner. If it weren't for their example, uh, I am sure that I would not be here today. I was inspired by what they accomplished, by their vision, by their honesty in office, and by the policies that they implemented. And it was that inspiration that led me to run. And um, I'm really just honored and proud and and humbled to be here today. Um, We know that the system that we are charged with running in each of our cities is not working. And as Larry and Sean said, you can call it broken, or you can say it's it's doing what it was designed to do. In any event, it is not working for our communities. It is not keeping us safer. And as district attorney, my primary concern is enhancing safety and justice in our community. And the system is failing woefully to do that right now. We have not just weeks or months or years of problems to address, but decades and centuries in every city in America. And when you look at the uprising, when you look at the social firmament that's happening, in the streets of virtually every single city and town in this country over the last several weeks, you have to recognize that the tear gas that has been the primary response of local law enforcement, the billy clubs, the arrests, are not going to allow us to move forward. They might bottle it up, but it's gonna come back out again stronger. We need to step up, we need to be leaders, we need to listen to community, we need to create mechanisms and pathways and opportunities for people who have been systematically excluded not just from the justice that the criminal justice system administers, but also from all of the other areas of public life, education and housing and healthcare that are so critical to being healthy and safe in our communities and with our neighbors. I'm proud to be part of this groundbreaking Truth, Justice and Reconciliation Commission that's inspired by, among other places, the work that was done in post-apartheid South Africa to develop a path forward after decades of racial violence and oppression at the hands of the government. In South Africa, they understood that given the enormous wrongs inflicted on black africans by the government justified by written laws, there had to be a formal process and system to acknowledge those harms, to document those harms, to pursue justice and healing and make strides towards a safer, fairer, more equitable future for everybody in the country. As we stand here today, we are at a crossroads in our country. We recognize the tremendous demand for change. We recognize the tremendous potential for change. And yet many people are at a loss for how to turn that righteous rage we see into, in the streets every day into concrete policy reforms. The work has to begin now. We have to step up and create those pathways. We have to do it by listening to our local communities, by recognizing that in the streets of San Francisco, most of our black communities are essentially under a occupation by the police department's gang task force, that people cannot walk outside their front doors today in San Francisco. They can't walk outside their front door and say hi to their neighbor or to their cousin without already meeting two of the criteria the San Francisco Police Department uses to document someone as a gang member. We need serious change. The time is now. And this process, this Truth, Justice, and Reconciliation Commission process is one critical step towards identifying pathways, towards healing harm, towards recognizing and documenting the ways in which our system has persecuted and oppressed and excluded people of color for decades and for centuries. We also need to recognize the role that we have played as law enforcement, that our offices as district attorneys have played, the complicity that we and our offices have had in the wrongs inflicted by the system, by the police, by the, uh, by the laws that the police enforce on people of color. We have to recognize that so much of the pain prosecutors and police have caused in the past is still there, are still raw, open wounds that need to be addressed if we are to move forward and build trust between the communities that are so impacted by crime and so impacted by police violence, and that we have sworn to serve and protect. The commissions that will be created by this initiative are focused on creating a new system, one that is rooted in dignity, respect, and justice for families and individuals who are wronged by police, by prosecutors, or by the system more broadly. The Commission will create a process for hearing from victims of police misconduct, develop new pathways to justice, and reexamine what justice and public safety actually mean for marginalized groups. Prosecutors have a special responsibility to promote justice and reconciliation with the communities whose needs we have historically been complicit in ignoring or perpetuating wrongs against. I'm so honored by the opportunity to be part of this initiative to play a role in listening, in hearing, and in healing the wounds that have been created by the harm the criminal legal system has imposed on impacted communities. And to work with others like District Attorney Krasner and Rowland, like Attorney Lee Merritt and Sean King, to seek real justice. And you've heard about some of the things we've done just in the past few weeks. We've taken Bold steps in our office, as I know my colleagues across the country have in some cases as well. Um, Certainly, D.A. Krasner and D.A. Rollins and I have been proactive in our domains, making changes to recognize victims of police violence. To um, what we've done in San Francisco, for example, we introduced a resolution to prevent hiring officers with a history of serious misconduct. We implemented internal policies mandating review of all body camera footage before prosecuting resisting arrest cases to ensure that we are not complicit in covering up police misconduct. We've refused to prosecute cases relying on officers that have a history of serious misconduct. We've strengthened our internal investigation bureau that is designed to investigate police use of force. And we've done much more than that. You heard about our work around victims' compensation for victims of police violence. We've initiated an effort to prevent district attorneys from accepting political donations or uh, political endorsements from police unions to cure the conflict of interest that's inherent between district attorneys' offices and police unions. But all those steps and the others that we've taken are not nearly enough, not nearly enough. They don't even begin to address the historic inequities and failings of our approach in this country and in this city to criminal justice. The work we've done is important, and we recognize that we have to move forward, and we have to move forward boldly and aggressively. But before we do that, and as part of that process, we must reckon with the past. We must listen to our community. Only then can we build trust. Only then can we determine what next steps will be necessary to have justice and safety for all. Thank you.
3: Break it down.
4: Break,
1: break, 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 break.
2: Hey, my name is Brandon Janice, and I'm the host of Sick Empire, a brand new podcast brought to you by the North Star. On Sick Empire, I interview New Yorkers who, in different ways fight on the front lines for change in the city during the coronavirus pandemic. Please listen to hear a unique mix of stories from essential workers, small business owners, artists, and elected officials who are all experiencing the chaos of COVID in their own ways. Listen to Sick Empire on all streaming platforms, and you can support the show and any of our other podcasts by heading over to the NorthStar.com and becoming a member.
1: Empire. Mm-hmm.
0: Sick Empire Sick
4: Empire